listening to Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Guys, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. As always, the best way to share the podcast is by putting a positive review on iTunes, and we definitely appreciate you leaving those. I'm here today with a very special guest. He has been on the podcast before, and he's back to talk about some of the crazy things that are going on right now. Gabe Roth with Fix the Courts. How are you? I'm great, Rosie. Glad to be back. I'm glad to have you. I thought about you right away with all this craziness with the confirmation hearings. And I just want to know, what is your take? I mean, you've been advocating for so many years that the Supreme Court needs to be fixed. And I think this was just a glowing red flag in democracy that things are need to be shaken up. And they have been. You know, what's your take on all this, uh, all this confirmation process? Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that the Constitution allows for a political process and the appointment of Supreme Court justices, right, you have a president who, for all of America's history, save the first, has been a clear partisan uh, appointing or, or nominating a, uh, a justice. And you have the Senate, and the Senate senators are obviously members of one party or another. They're the ones who give advice and consent in terms of confirming a justice. So it is a baked into the Constitution political process. But up until recently, you had these justices, whether it be Antonin Scalia or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, some of the most you know, con uh, uh, controversial justices. These justices, like Scalia and Ginsburg, were confirmed with 96 votes, with 98 votes, 99 wow. votes. And only really in the last uh, 20 years do you have more and more, a, a trend in which you have justices that are being uh, confirmed with fewer and fewer votes. I mean, certain just certain nominees like Robert Bork who was very controversial and just really, you know, spoke down to senators when he was when he was up there. I think that was the most frustrating thing for them. He got voted down in, in 87 and that led to the Justice Kennedy appointment. Um, and Kennedy was, you know, clear Republican. He, he got more than 90 votes. But but really, when you look at when it, whether it be Kagan or Sotomayor or Alito or Gorsuch, and now you're up to Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh only got 50 votes. Correct. Um, it was very close. He could have, you know, lost it by one or two votes. And exactly, and that's, that's that's something wrong about that. I think. I think that you know, if you have this nonpartisan uh, branch of government, or at least supposedly nonpartisan branch of government, you'd want the individuals nominated and confirmed to that that part of our government to have bipartisan support, and that's just not happening anymore. It's not. Now let me ask you: Is fix the court a bipartisan? Or partisan. It is, group. yeah. We, you know, I talk to Republicans and Democrats almost every day. Perfect. You know, I think that that the idea of like transparency and accountability in the federal bench is not something that favors one party or another. So you have no political agenda for for recommending this type of. Reform. I really don't. Okay, got it. And I think that's really important to know because someone could say, well, you know, your organization is really pushing, um, you know one way or the other and so you're saying you guys are totally neutral you just want the court system to be fair and balanced exactly and and, and open and 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 transparent and accountable and less mysterious right if you when, when people think about the court one of the the negative aspects of having these contentious hearings is that you just assume that when the justices put on their robes they're junior varsity politicians and they're going up there and Kagan and Sotomayor are fighting with Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Alito. The left is fighting with the right. But in most of the cases, the justices are you know, clearly on one side or another, maybe not during oral arguments, but when the opinions come out. And you know, if we're going to have this, this out, outsized amount of power to our third branch of government, as, as the court's called because it's listed third in the Constitution after Congress and the presidency, 
they're they're they have increased their power over time because Congress can't get anything done and the president is uh you know, too busy watching Fox and Friends, um, <laughs> which some people might like and other people won't. Um, you know, be, the Supreme Court has this outsized power, and that's really not baked in the Constitution. That's really a relatively new thing over the past few decades. So if their court is going to make these decisions of life or death and who wins the presidential election and health care and uh, LGBT rights and reproductive rights and the environment, if they're going to have all this power, the least they can do is open up and seem to be fair and impartial and not partisan in one way or another. Correct. And also, this is the highest court in the land. This is not, you know, some uh, small county court in, you know, the suburbs <laughs> or whatever. This yeah. is supposed to be the pinnacle of American democracy. So what happened? What has happened, in your opinion, in the past, you know, several appointments that have turned things so, um, you know, left versus right and and because it's you're saying this is not how things were before. No, I think I think there are a few things. I think that 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 Bush v. Gore was really was really a turning point. That that the election of 2000 was a turning point where you had such a close election. It really just sort of drove home this idea that the country is divided, and that's something that we we think about 18 years later today. Uh, pretty soon after Bush v. Gore, uh, the Republicans had. Uh, was, the Democrats had control of the Senate, and the Republican Republicans obviously had the presidency. And the Republican, the Democrats said, you know, we're not going to think about. Well, first of all, Bush not, you know, nominated several uh, men and women to the federal bench, um, who um, who were pretty pretty radical. They weren't as you know they were they were younger. They were. Um, you know, more more in line with uh, the right wing of the Republican Party, and so Democrats said, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna listen to you. We're not gonna we're not gonna look at these these nominees. And so, you know, the Republicans didn't back down. Instead of coming up with a consensus, instead of working together, I mean, I think both parties are at fault. So that sort of happened, and, and only got worse over time. I think it really crested in 2016 when the Republicans said, you know, despite the fact that President Obama had 11 more months in office. After we're not Justice prove Scalia anyone. died, yeah, yeah, we're not going to listen. So that's really, I mean, this has sort of been, you know, I, uh, you would have th thought in, a, you know, maybe a post nine eleven world, cooler heads would have uh, prevailed, and you'd have uh, individuals appointed to the bench that you know Republicans and Democrats could could agree on. But that that didn't happen. Um, the ironic thing, of course, is that Brett Kavanaugh was in the White House Counsel's office when all this was going on, and he's the newest justice. Uh, you know, back during the Bush administration. But really, I think the turning, you know, th there have been barbs on both sides. But I think the real turning point um, was was in 2016, when Merrick Garland wasn't even uh, considered yeah. by the Republicans. And and so, you know, Repo Democrats really, I, I think they, that 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 hurt them in a way that 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 really just you know, made it so that no matter what, they weren't going to vote for the next guy if it was uh, if he or she was nominated by a Republican. And what was Neil Gorsuch's confirmation? Was was it also split pretty low? It was it was uh, fifty four to forty five, so it was pretty close. You had, uh, um, I think it was McCaskill from Missouri, Heitkamp from North Dakota, Manchin from West Virginia, and Donnelly from Indiana, joining with the Republicans, mm -hmm. uh, or at least three of those four sort of moderate Democrats joining with the Republicans to to confirm Gorsuch. And Gorsuch, of course, there was not as much controversy as with Kavanaugh, but. Uh, um, 
yeah, and 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 I mean they're both both they're both pretty conservative, but uh, yeah. So 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 having forty five no votes and forty eight no votes as you've had with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are both, you know, when you look across the the history of the Supreme Court, very high numbers and very shocking. Let's talk about, of course, the controversy with Brett Kavanaugh that came up. You know, there was a hearing, and there has only been. I believe two hearings, this one and the Anita Hill regarding sexual assault allegations. Is that true? That's correct. And so um, I believe that we had an excellent opportunity to learn from the Anita Hill hearing. And I don't know that we as an American public and as a government did learn that lesson. Uh, what was your take on the whole situation? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was really just a, a pathetic exercise that, that this was not that this was a single one time thing that there was the, you know, starting from the fact that um, only one individual was asked to testify um, about the allegations. Uh, I mean, Dr. Ford obviously, you know, did was very, gave very compelling testimony. Um, And then you had uh, then Judge Kavanaugh come after, but there wasn't like a you know, typically in a hearing, you have a lot of different perspectives. You have a lot of different voices. You know, there could be psychological experts. There could have been the psychologist whose notes Dr. Ford gave to. They could be her husband. They could be her friends. There could be all sorts of individuals. So kind of like a mini trial. Yeah, sort of like that. Exactly. I mean, again, you know, no, no one's no one would go to jail. But at least, you know, if you're if you're a member of Congress and you're trying to figure out, you know, if the defense authorization bill or the, uh, you know, voting to um you know, change healthcare or whatever. Um, you want as want much information as possible exactly, to make your exactly. decision, right? <laughs> Correct. That's generally how uh, your mind, minds work. You want as much information as possible. And the fact that the, the FBI um, investigation was limited to, I think, nine individuals that the White House indicated could be interviewed, it was also a sham. So, you know, it's just, it was really disappointing. And like that, I, I don't, necessarily i don't really understand the 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 logic of you know if you're a a member of the senate and you're you're republican or even a democrat you want such an abbreviated um you know it it almost seemed that the republicans are like oh yeah our arms were twisted we had to listen to dr ford so here we go you know bringing in an outside counsel from from uh, maricopa county to to ask the questions to dr ford because there are no female republicans on the House, the Senate Judiciary Committee, just the whole process seemed, you know, not what it was intended to be. You know, Supreme Court confirmation hearings have only been happening for about 100 years. Um, and, there's, you know, nothing in my mind like this has happened where, you know, um, there's just been so much more information to garner. And uh, the, the majority the, didn't let it happen. What was the process before the 100, 100 years? It's just an up or down vote. You know, there's the, the president would nominate and the Senate would say, OK, yeah, we know this guy. We'll 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 we'll, uh, we'll vote. Yay. Um, you know, the 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 first hearing of um, uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearing that took place before the Senate was for uh, Justice Louis Brandeis um, in 1916. And, and the speculation, the reason why they wanted to have this public hearing is because he was the first Jewish justice. And there was some concern about that um, about 100 years ago. Luckily, we've uh, we've moved on. From that. That. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, geez. But, uh, but yeah, overall, it was, it, it, it was just a very, you know, as, as someone who cares about, you know, 
civic discourse, civil discourse and, and uh, fairness. It was just a really, it was a tough process to watch. And I felt that, um, you know, there could have been a lot more done despite the fact, I mean, you know, the whole idea is like, you know, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader said, oh, we need to get this done before in the midterms. Well, today, while the Senate is in recess, they still had a couple of senators hold a hearing for other judicial nominees. So the idea that you had to get it done by a certain date, especially when not a single member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, save one, so 20 of the 21 members of the Senate Judiciary Committee are not in close races um, or are not running, you know, they're out of cycle, so they're not running for re-election this uh, November. It, it just, the, the, the excuses were, were just completely tone deaf and, you know, made it seem like they were just trying to rush things through as opposed to giving a full account for uh, the allegations. Do you personally and does your organization think that, you know, Judge Kavanaugh acted in a pre- in, in a way that would represent the highest court of the land? I, I mean, I personally don't. And it's hard because you're it's uh, it's hard for me. I'm a woman, so I'm can be accused of certain things because of the women's issues that are surrounding um, his nomination and now confirmation. And also, you know, I do have some beliefs on the left and on the right, but there's assumptions that are made that on a very partisan line that if you are against Brett Kavanaugh, that you are against Republicans. And I just don't think that's true. I felt personally that there wasn't enough time. The confirmation hearing was not long enough or detailed enough. And that, you know, I was open to hearing what he had to say. And to be perfectly honest, even if he had assaulted, you know, Miss Ford, Miss Ford, I think that something that someone does in their teen years shouldn't necessarily be held, you know, against them. However, you know, it was just to me, it seemed like a circus. I don't know if I was delusional or what was happening. Yeah, no, just... it absolutely was. I mean, I think that the the Saturday Night Live representation of it was fairly accurate. Um, with oh Matt God, Damon, that was hilarious. <laughs> he uh, was drinking a lot of water. He was drinking yes. a lot of water and watching Matt Damon do that water just killed me. <laughs> it was, uh, you know. Uh, the, the, politically, it's been it's been a tough show to watch for various reasons, but uh, you know over the last few years. But uh, I think they did it right with uh, with uh, about the September twenty seventh uh, Ford Kavanaugh hearing. Um, no, I think I, look the it, it was it was just a weird experience because like as someone who I felt it was just bizarre. It was especially as someone who knows Justice Kavanaugh professionally. Um, has interacted with him it just it wasn't it didn't seem like it was him right it seemed like someone said you know trump's fickle he's threatened he threatened to pull justice gorsuch's nomination because he was a gorsuch wasn't obsequious enough about the nomination if you recall like gorsuch uh he wanted to turn it down first he wanted to turn it down at first exactly and then uh gorsuch said to senator blumenthal from connecticut who's on the judiciary committee in a private meeting that blumenthal later leaked um yeah uh, trump's uh, uh denigration of federal judges is really disappointing and disheartening or something like that and then you know based on that comment trump's like yeah i'm gonna pull the nomination so then gorsuch had to write this like very obsequious note about something at some point uh, i think a uh, uh, speech to the joint session of Congress that happened later that month. So, you know, that I, I, my, my guess, my understanding and what I know of the process and what I know of the players is that someone said to him, look, you know, we have a fickle person in the white house and the, the best way to ensure that you remain the nominee 
is that you fight back in a in, in no uncertain terms. And you know, I think as someone who um, you know who went who went to high school and college and went to parties in high school and college, and definitely not as much as as, as Justice Kavanaugh, but you know, <laughs> I don't know if any of us have. <laughs> you know. You, you know that people drink a lot, you, you know, and, and you're, you're familiar with it. And you know that people, you know, have memory gaps and don't remember how they get home. And, you That's know, a God, normal part if, of you know, America, know, American love, college you know, experience. And, you know, no one that I know in my circles, like, has done, you know, anything as bad as, as, what, as what Dr. Ford has accused uh, Justice Kavanaugh of doing. But at least, like, you know, the, the, just the acknowledgement of, like, okay, he said, yeah, I did some things in high school that I regret. But, like, that was... It. There was no acknowledgement of the fact that it's very possible, if not highly likely, that he doesn't remember certain things that he did. And he drank way too much. And yes. he acted like kind of a dick. And that's not, you know, whether or not your behavior when you're 19 or younger is applicable to a job interview when you're 53, you know, it's sort of another conversation. It's just this lack of contrition over past behavior and past potential behavior because you were too drunk to know if you did it. But, you know, like that's, that to me was the, one of the big disappointments is that, that, you know, instead of having an honest conversation about, you know, how, you know, how, how misbehaving men can, can, can heal, um, not even, you know, that, that instead we're just saying, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, he said, she said to, to hearken back to your earlier point, you're right. We didn't understand, uh, learn anything from Anita Hill because, the Democrats who ran the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 1991 only let Doc, uh, Professor Hill um, testify. There were other women who could have corroborated it. And similarly, this time around, it was Senate Republicans who learned nothing um, from that from that experience. And there was only one person testifying in term, and, and so we couldn't get any corroborating evidence of the insane amount of drinking that it's likely that our newest justice had done, which then led to some terrible behavior. Correct. And I felt that there was a bit of extreme beliefs going on on both sides of the aisle. You know, on the left, it was this very extreme, well, we need to believe her and listen to her, which is, I totally agree with as a sexual assault survivor myself, I totally agree and believe with that. But also that um, it was almost a burning of the stake. Well, if he's done anything ever, he can't be forgiven. We can't have an honest conversation. Nothing can happen. And then on the right, it was, well, just don't believe her. She's crazy. She's a tool of the left. And I felt like, why? I agree with you. Why can't we have an honest conversation and say, hey, I've done some things in the past, but, you know, since I've been a judge, I have never acted in that manner. And, you know, I'm an outstanding member of the community and look at my record. And as you said, a healing. That's very important because many, many, many people have made mistakes in their youth and that doesn't need to carry you into, you know, 30, 40 years later. But I felt like it was just so extreme. It was, as you said, he said, she said, instead of just having an honest conversation of the facts. And, you know, I'm, I cannot say with a hundred percent certainty that I ever blacked out or not, but I don't even drink, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know that, I don't know that you could say that because there's just you so can't many, conclusively say you that. Can't, I mean, I mean, I can't you, say that about can't. myself. There's, there's, you know, studies done that, that people under stress interviewed, you know, under oath, you know, can't remember a stressful situation if they've witnessed a murder or something within 10 or 20 minutes later. How could you yeah. remember something from 20 years ago Absolutely. to that detail? So that's, you know, where where it wasn't, where you were not a traumatized person, if it was something traumatizing to you. And 
for example, you know, maybe he did it as a joke or he did it. Who knows? But who I'm knows? saying it's very, right. it, the only people who know are the people who are there. But what I'm saying is it's very, very, very difficult. And memory has been proven time and time again by multiple psychological studies to be not 100% accurate to say that, you know, I can't remember if I passed that or not. I, I don't even drink. So it's just, it's very hard to definitively say those types of comments. Yeah, I miss science. You know, that's really the thing that I keep coming back to is I miss I miss social science. Like I think that social science can teach us a lot about that to your point about studies of memory and there's just really no no discussion of that, no experts that brought in. That would be great in, no to have someone in there to. To, to to discuss memory and talk about how, you know, memory memory for a traumatic victim or memory for, you know, someone who may have had excessive drinking. That that would have been great to hear an expert. Yeah, absolutely. And I and 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 you know, the, the 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 some of the things that I remember in, in 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 my life, like that were somewhat traumatic to me, whether it be like you know swastikas painted on my synagogue when I was oh eight gosh. or nine years old. Like I remember seeing that for the first time, and like don't really remember very much else from 1989. You know, mm-hmm. um, so you know when she was talking about like remembering specific like traumatic experiences, like I that definitely you know rung true, obviously in a much less intense way for me but the 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 conversation was was just very much not on the level and um you know no matter what office you're running for or are nominated for um just the 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 intellectual dishonesty on the process it's just made it made it hard i mean i I don't know where we go from here to be perfectly honest i mean i have several reforms that i would love to introduce to to make the supreme court process specifically since that's my line of work you know, a little more open and honest and return to a 60 vote threshold for a Supreme Court justice and limit the justices 10 years. So they're not serving for you know, 30 or 35 years, as is the case nowadays. But in terms of specifically the, the confirmation process, you know, I, I think that um, the, the the idea that you would just, you know, have this all over essentially in a day or a week, you know, a day with just the one hearing with Ford and Kavanaugh after the new allegations come out in a week after the FBI, um, for the FBI investigation, the half-assed FBI investigation take place is just to me, like not at all, um, what you'd expect from, from a, from a healthy democracy. And from the highest court in the land, which is very, very important. Let's talk about some of your activism. You said, you know, this is your line of work. These are the things that you would implement. You talk about, we've talked about it before when you were on a guest, but let's remind the listeners. Mm-hmm. You talk about a tenure and a limited term. As it is, the Supreme Court is a lifetime appointment. And what mm-hmm. is the issue with that? Yeah, so, I mean, there's several issues. I mean, one, what the <laughs> the whole reason that we have lifetime tenure is because we, uh, cribbed notes from the, an English law from, I think, 1701, where the, uh, the judiciary in England was trying to separate themselves from the crown, which basically says that so if you serve during good behavior, which is the phrase in the Constitution, you get to keep your jobs. There was sort of this understanding, though, once you know, we uh, won the Revolutionary War, that there would be this you know, sort of internal pressure to, to not serve on and on and on, right? I mean, everyone talks about uh, life expectancy, but you know the reason that life expectancy was so low in the 18th century was mostly because of uh, infant mortality. So you know if you live past five, you're probably going to live into your 60s or 70s, um, especially if you were a patrician judge like most of these men back then were. Um, but you know we don't know when individuals experience cognitive decline. That can happen to anybody at any time. Um, but you're it's much more li- likely if, when you're 85 or 90 than it is when you're 
70 or 75. Um, you know, the idea that individuals who were born before the start of World War II are currently serving on the Supreme Court is just oh something gosh. that to me makes absolutely no sense. So having justices that are more of the times and understand, you know, aren't when, when, when you have a Fourth Amendment search and seizure, seizure case about, you know, geolocations and pings off of cell towers, as you, as you had uh, this past year, it's not just this like, like incredible uh, learning curve for the for the men and women who are going to decide these cases. And finally, we're the only democracy that does this, right? Every other democracy, which is newer than us because we were the first one that's that's made it all the way through. Um, every single one of their constitutions has either a mandatory retirement age or life tenure. So this idea that all of us, you know, in 1787, you know, uh, all knowledge of human frailty and health, physical and mental health, like stopped is crazy. So, you know, the uh, ensuring that there are sort of backstops to, to not concentrate power in the hands of a very few, very elderly population I think is, is a more democratic way of doing things as opposed to, you know, feudalism, which is pretty much how uh, a lot of the, uh, the idea of life tenure came about. Let's talk about the elderly population on the Supreme Court, because, you know, some might say it's ageism or um, a prejudice towards them being older. But let's be honest, as technology continues to rapidly increase, mm -hmm. more and more court cases that are going to be going to the Supreme Court are going to involve technology and how do we know that these uh, judges are technologically savvy enough to actually make a valid argument and decision against the, I mean, we have cryptocurrency among other things becoming a huge, huge issue and being or, or bulk data on... collection or geolocation exactly. with, with, your, with your, yeah, exactly. And, and these are, these are major issues, right? That, that these are, that are, that are reaching the Supreme court patent issues with new technologies are constantly, reaching the federal circuit, which is one level below the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court always takes a few of those of their cases each year. Um, so, you know, the, the some of the justices have joked, oh, my grand my grandkids taught me about how about, you know, what this uh, what social media is like. I, I, don't, I don't really like that. You know? Or Rather possibly than, great grandchildren at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, the some of the justices understand what, you know, are, are, are of the internet age, right? So Justice Alito's got, you know, brings his iPad to all the arguments and he's re scrolling in the briefs on the iPad. And, you know, Justices Kagan and Breyer have briefly dabbled on Twitter, not publicly, but, you know, privately. They've, they've either set up accounts or Googled, you know, how to, how to do it, I'm told. Um, you know, but overall, it, it, because, and obviously, you know, technology is a moving target. And, you know, some, having someone with, with real life experience in the modern age, I think just as a general principle, is, is beneficial. Um, but you know, it's, it's also just the idea that, you know, somebody that somebody like justice Stevens who retired at 90 and at 97 or 98 is still going strong. He was out there a few weeks, uh, weeks ago talking about Kavanaugh. That's great. But there was, I mean, there was a judge in, uh, in Utah who had to retire and I want to say her forties or fifties. And because she, she had, she found out that she had early onset dementia and, and, mm -hmm. you know, it was a tough decision for her, but she, she, I think made the right call. We just don't know when these issues are going to affect anyone. Um, and, and I think it's just, you know, generally having this idea that, okay, after 18 years, you're done would, would help prevent that. And I also think that you would have older, you know, there's, there's, there's been different studies done to, to figure out if this is true, but, you know, I think that having individuals with more life experience 
and in, in some ways it, it moderates them in, in the sense that you know there you can find individuals who are great jurists who have this wonderful experience who are in their 60s be nominated to the Supreme Court as opposed to now where you're just trying to find the youngest most ideological individual to be added to the Supreme Court I mean Gorsuch was 49 Kagan and Sotomayor were 50 um, around 50 uh, Clarence Thomas was 42 or 43 so you know the the idea that you know you'd have someone serving for for ten or twenty years on a lower court and then would be ready for the Supreme Court, I think, is a much more attractive view than someone like Thomas, who was only on the on the lower court for like a year before he was nominated to the Supreme Court at age forty three in nineteen ninety one. Mm-hmm. So term limits is something that you advocate for, and the reason you gave seems like common sense to me. What are some of the other um, reforms that you would like to see? Sure. So I, I think the one that most people uh, arrive at fix the court with is is uh, cameras in the courtroom, right? So if, uh, in the Supreme Court, especially, but across the federal bench. Um, right now, it's just sketches, right? Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think John Oliver made fun of that on one of his episodes. He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> caught, yeah. yeah they're, uh, they had dogs. Doggy Supreme Court. Like yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, I, I was very thankful that, uh, that that they did that just to show the ridiculousness of it. Um, so, yeah, so the Supreme Court, they, they record the audio. They hear arguments Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays in different sessions at different times during the year. Um, and the audio for those cases isn't released to the public until Friday afternoon, which is ridiculous, number one. Number two, they don't allow allow cameras. So, I mean, Chief Justice Roberts was actually just asked about this uh, the other day, why there are no cameras in the court. And he always says, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about how I'm going to behave, but I'm worried that certain attorneys and some of the other justices might behave badly if there was a live broadcast of what we were doing during the 60 or 70 cases that we hear each year. And, you know, that, that to me, that, that argument doesn't hold water. I mean, the, we, we need to be able to see our court in action, our justices in action, to have faith in it, to maintain the legitimacy of that institution. The idea that you know, releasing an audio recording several days later when the news cycle has moved on and, and there are other uh, things going on, it, that that doesn't that doesn't help necessarily. That There's argument is not backed by science, actually, because transparency allows people to act uh, to be on better behavior. You know, that's exactly, that yeah, is exactly. the argument and the science behind the police cam- body cameras yes. is that when you know you're being watched and there's multiple, multiple studies about this, then you actually behaved it in a more uh, more moralistic and ethical manner so that argument is not doesn't even make sense exactly and 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 every court that whether it be the you know state supreme court of utah or the second circuit court of appeals and the ninth circuit court of appeals which are courts that are one level below the supreme court when they've tried cameras and there have been a few experiments lower uh both at state supreme courts and lower federal courts when they've tried cameras empirically the studies have shown that there haven't, to your point, there have been no outbursts. There have been, I think there was one in Ohio once, and the Chief Justice uh, Maureen O'Connor like, basically slapped down the, the attorney that was being goofy, and it never happened again. So, Is he concerned you know, about attorneys getting ready for their Academy Award performances? Exactly. It's possible. <laughs> I, I, who knows? I mean, I think that... You know, I object. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's it's just the the arguments are just total are completely tone deaf and and you know what what often happens is that it's compared to Congress, right? So there are cameras in Congress, and every since since that happened, Congress has been 
um, hyper-partisan and, and the congressmen have gotten along less and less and nobody actually goes down to the floor of the House or Senate. Everyone just sits in their offices and watches what goes on on C-SPAN. That's fine. That's a fair argument. But part of the reason that's happening is because members of Congress use their floor speeches for political gain. Once you're in the Supreme Court, there is no political gain. <laughs> You've already gained it. <laughs> everything, anything from the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, it, former politicians have been on the Supreme Court, right? William Howard Taft was president, then he was chief justice. Uh, a former governor of California was also on the Supreme Court, a former senator from Alabama. But this, this era is long past. Pretty much to get on the Supreme Court, you have to be either the Solicitor General of the United States, so the top lawyer in the White House uh, representing the United States in court, or you're a federal judge somewhere else in the country. So, you know, you're, there's, there's no, this, no, no idea of running for anything. So it's an apples to oranges comparison. And frankly, you know, what I'm working on are bills in Congress that would, instead of doing cameras in the court, would actually do live audio. So we know that the Supreme Court ha and all the courts of appeal, the, the federal appeals courts, there's 13 of them across the country, they all have capability of live streaming audio of their cases. And you know, some of them have. I pushed several of them to start doing that, um, and now I'm trying to work with Congress to to compel them to get to to pass a bill that would compel the Supreme Court to do the same. Because I think starting with audio is 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 a really is sort of an intermediate step that we should all be able to agree. On. Um. So I definitely learned a lot during the Kavanaugh confirmation and just during the whole thing. I feel like the Supreme Court is shrouded a little bit behind closed doors in a Wizard of Oz type of way. And I I learned that, it, I don't know if this is true, but I had heard on one of the newscasts that Supreme Court justices can be impeached. Is this true? Yeah, that's really the only recourse or reprimand you have with a Supreme Court justice, right? So there were about 15 different ethics complaints filed against then-Judge Kavanaugh about certain things that he said during his confirmation hearing. But there's really not, and those complaints uh, went to the D.C. Circuit, which is Kavanaugh's former court, but Chief Justice Roberts moved it because there's like you need to do a change of venue thing usually so it's not so there's no bias and hearing these complaints so chief justice roberts said no we're going to move the complaints to the 10th circuit which is based in denver and what the 10th circuit's going to do it hasn't come out yet but i'm sure this is going to happen they're going to dismiss the claims because there's no recourse what can you do we can't you can't reprimand a justice you can't say you know you can't censure a justice you can't remove a justice from a case um unlike you could with a lower federal federal judge right so if you're accused of misconduct and you're a lower federal judge, there are certain recourse for reprimand. But yes, impeachment is the only way to remove a federal judge. And it's happened about a dozen times, but never at the Supreme Court. Well, there was one justice that was impeached in 1804, but he wasn't convicted. Um, and so what it's, are the, the terms of impeachment? How can just Similar, so exact same as the president. It's, uh, there would be proceedings um, in the House of Representatives. Um, usually... The, just the way the rules work now would usually be started in the House Judiciary Committee and that it would move a vote would be, uh, would go to the full uh, floor of the House and they would have to vote uh, whether or not to impeach. And then two thirds of the Senate would have to vote to remove uh, the judge or justice. So the idea that you're going to get 67 senators to agree to impeach any of the justices, let alone Justice Kavanaugh. I think is uh, is far fetched. Clinton, done, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, Clinton Clinton's impeachment, I think. It was, it was right around 50-50 um, in terms of what the senators, because there were there were a couple of counts. There's perjury and obstruction of justice back in 98-99, uh, and you know Clinton sailed through because there just there weren't 67 senators who voted to remove to, to remove him. I think it was, ended up being around 50-50. So it's, yeah, 
it's a, it's a very high bar. And, um, you know, I wish, I wish there were other things that we could do. You know, there's, there's something called the Judicial Conduct and Disability Act that doesn't um, apply to the Supreme Court. But right now we're trying to add certain protections for sexual harassment to it. And it would be nice if um, those protections for individuals who work in the Supreme Court and for, you know, the, for, against justices themselves uh, were protected. But uh, but that would that would require, um, you know, a lot of work by Congress to make it happen. My main concern is after this treatment um, of Judge Kavanaugh, can he be a bipartisan judge? Can he be a fair and balanced judge? And from what I saw in the, you know, I, I don't think he can. I don't I don't I honestly don't think he can. And I'm I'm happy to have another conservative judge, you know, on the Supreme Court. But I just don't think that what was revealed is someone that should be sitting on the highest court in the land, whether they're conservative or liberal. Um, let's talk about uh, brettkavanaugh.com. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I was told by a little birdie that somebody purchased that website. I did. I did. In uh, <laughs> September of 2015, I purchased org and .net among several other justices, uh, potential justices. Are you names. psychic? Are you psychic? No. Why well, did you purchase? Funny. Why did you purchase it? What was the story behind so, it? So yeah, so um, I, I went through went through my old Gmail and 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 found found the the emails back and forth to uh, to some people that I work with and said I said look you know it's, 20, it's September 2015 the presidential race is heating up you know Hillary declared Trump declared the 17 other Republican candidates and four other Democratic candidates they all had uh, uh, declared. And, you know, Ginsburg's age is getting up there in age. Scalia's getting up there in age. Kennedy, Breyer, they're all over 75. I'm sure one of them is going to step down um, as soon as uh, the next president is elected. So let's buy some URLs and see if we can redirect them to fix the court. So the email says, um, if HRC wins, you know, these six people are likely to be on the shortlist to be justice. And then under that, it says, if Jeb wins, remember him? Jeb <laughs> Uh, Jeb wins. Very low energy. Very low energy. <laughs> I mean, uh, poor Jeb. Um, so, you know, so if Jeb wins, here are the the six or so people that I think would be on a short list. So yeah, so I bought them, and and they pretty pretty much laid dormant. Um, was this, was Judge Kavanaugh under Jeb's potential picks? Since he was. Trump was yeah, a thought, long shot at the point. Was, <laughs> well, I thought Jeb. Uh, I think Jeb was probably leading the polls then still, but yeah. So Jeb and. So uh, because Kavanaugh worked for Jeb's brother, George, and they were very close. And, and at that point, Kavanaugh had already had nine years of experience on the D.C. Circuit, which is a lot of people say this is the second most important court in the country. I thought that he would be a potential Supreme Court justice. So, you know, some of the judges, some of the individuals like Neil Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch dot com, I think, was already taken. So I just bought Judge Gorsuch dot com. Um, <laughs> I might have to get you to pick my lotto numbers. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, so com, and, and from July 9th up until recently, um, it just redirected to fixthecourt.com. That's amazing. And now where does it redirect? So it redirects to a, a landing page that uh, that says, we believe survivors um, across a black and white photo of the Supreme Court. Um, that I purchased, I think I purchased the photo from like Getty or something a few years ago, uh, cause it's just a really beautiful photo. And, um, under that it, it says, you know, that it may look that like the, 
confirmation of, of uh, Brett Kavanaugh as a victory for a, a certain interest group or a certain party or, or you know one someone or another. But you know it, it brings into focus the idea that um, the issue of, of sexual assault in America and you know, if, if you're somebody that has been affected by that, here are some resources that you can go to to, to get the help you need. Well, what a very positive and helpful thing to do. Um, Thank you. It's, it's, uh... That's amazing. And um, <laughs> very has a little bit of comedy involved as well in a very serious I mean, I, look, I, I wasn't thinking of doing anything with the site uh, <laughs> or with the URL for, for a long time. I mean, it was uh, it was, you know, the last time I saw him was February and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I wonder if he knows that I own his, you know, like, <laughs> own his, that was February. Like that was not, you know, there was no vacancy at the Supreme court and it really just didn't matter. Um, you know, I look, I think that I wasn't really thinking of doing anything with it until that pep rally on Monday night of uh, the Monday night that he was, you know, he was the vote. The vote was on Saturday, and he was, you know, officially sworn in Saturday night. But then there was that ceremonial swearing in at the White House on Monday night, and it was just like it was one of the worst things I've ever seen on television, and um, and I've seen a lot of B movies. Uh, it was just <laughs> it was not it was not pleasant to watch. Um, and uh, you know, having all the justices just sitting there, like I don't even know what, uh, like potted plants, uh, just watching this you know, these lies that were coming out of the president's mouth. Um, and it's, by the way, it's not partisan to call them lies because they're factually untrue. Just wanted to point that out to, to anyone who's going to knock me for that. Um, just saying that, you know, Kavanaugh was proven innocent. And then, you know, there's a big standing ovation for Mitch McConnell. And let me thank every senator that voted for, for Kavanaugh, from Manchin to Collins to Grassley to whoever. It was, it was, a, it was a Republican pep rally. And those are fine. I mean, I've, you know... I, I, I used to have a pep rally each week at school. Love pep rallies, but you know, having one at the White House after this crazy partisan fight when the guy's already been sworn in, and we're just totally denigrating what so many people in America have gone through, and that has really just been an acute thing for them because these memories have been rushing up because of someone, you know, who was accused of, of, of these terrible things being elevated to the highest court in the land. Like that's not okay. Like there needs to be something you know, that can be done to sort of say, you know, stop, like we need to talk about this. So that's what I was hoping to do. You know, I don't, I mean, you know, no animosity to, to any re Republicans who thought that the pep rally was fine, but you know, it wasn't, this is something we need to talk about. And I, just because the Kavanaugh saga is off the front pages, doesn't mean that the pain for victims is going to, who, you know, have been thinking about this more because of what happened. doesn't mean that pain's going away. Correct. And I think that's amazing that you did that and very, very positive twist on things. Also, I am just shocked by the partisan nature of what's going on. You know, if you are anti Brett Kavanaugh because of this debacle of democracy, you're immediately, you know, I was attacked on Twitter as a liberal. I had, um, I'm not a liberal. I'm actually ha an independent and I have political beliefs on both sides of the spectrum. Um, I like to say I take the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Um, I take I take all the policies that make common sense, and, and no, I, I'm that way too. The and other I mean, ones I ignore. Way, yeah, <laughs> but um, I you know I had several of my comedy fan followers who I love so much, and unfortunately I had to block them because I could not stand the vitriol. But there was some of my fans from from my comedy who were messaging me or tweeting at me certain comments about you know 
um, attacking certain ideals of sexual assault. I mean, the statistics show most women do not make ridiculous outlandish accusations. It's, it's just it's like ni- it's ninety eight percent from the stats that I read, and like I I that's also something because I did some research about this. Like it's not like I'm just gonna just do this willy nilly, you know. I, I did the research. I looked into it. I talked to family. I talked to friends. I talked to people I work with, and you know the the lack of care um, that's been exhibited to to individuals who have got, undergone terrible trauma trauma is just is is disgusting and you know i know that i'm not going to be able to necessarily change that but you know if if i'm able to be you know do something positive i'm I'm more than happy to it is and for some reason this case ignited i am a sexual assault survivor you know through harvey weinstein through the entire me too movement i was not triggered once Mm -hmm. gabe and this for some reason court um, confirmation hearing did trigger me. I woke up at 3 a.m. The, the night after and I had nightmares. It was awful. Oh, wow. So and sorry to just, hear that. Thank you. And it's just really bizarre. I don't know what it is about this one hearing. I was not triggered by um, Harvey Weinstein, by Bill Cosby, by any of the allegations that have come forward. And I have other friends who are sexual assault survivors who said the same thing. So I'm not sure what really? it is wow. about the Brett Kavanaugh hearing that really triggered a lot of women and um, men uh, as well men are Mm -hmm. that's another misconception that men are not sexually assaulted but they're as well but just not as in high numbers Mm -hmm. um so i think it was a bit of a debacle of democracy and i'm very very sad to see that because i definitely believe in our government and in our country and i think whatever you believe on both sides of the party line or if you're an independent like us or an alternative party green party you know tea party whatever that we deserve democracy and 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 to have a fair and balanced system, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something that we should aspire to more as we, uh, as we move forward. And, and, you know, I think that it's very likely that we'll have a, a split Congress come, uh, January 3rd, 2019, whether that be a Republican house and a democratic Senate or vice versa. And, you know, maybe that'll, that, that'll help solve some things. Maybe it won't, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we can well, we can definitely work towards a you know doing something better than what we just experienced. Yes. So let's talk about how the average listener listening to this podcast can contribute to fix the court or uh, contribute their political power um, through your organization or other organizations like it, so people can take some action. What are yeah, ways no, that we can course. move forward? Absolutely. I think that um, the best thing that they can do is go to to fixthecourt.com. And up on the right side, there's a, an action center button. And if you click on it, you can see all these different ways that you can interact with members of con- your members of Congress about the Supreme Court, right? So if you want to write to your member of the U.S. House, um, your representative about why the Supreme Court needs to follow a, a stricter code of conduct, currently they're, they don't have a code of conduct like the rest of the federal judiciary. They're exempt from it for reasons that are not even worth going into. They're so frustrating. Um, but there are some bills before Congress that uh, are considering adding a code of conduct for the justices, which would be wonderful. And so what does that mean, code of conduct, for those who are not? Yeah, yeah, there? sure. So it would just say, you know, there, there's a law that says, you know, if your brother, sister, mother uh, has a case before the Supreme Court, you have to recuse yourself. You have to step aside from the case. Sure. That so it's basic, like, conflict of interest laws. Yeah. Same thing if you have, you know, if it's like 
you know, Google versus Smith and you own Google stock, you also have to step away. So and you don't then, personally benefit or you're not biased. Exactly, exactly. So the, so certain basic things exist for the justices as well. But then there's another step, right? There's there's a line that says, you know, federal judges should avoid the appearance of impropriety in all that they do, right? So if you're a member of the Supreme Court and you're only speaking to liberal groups and you're not, you know, going to bipartisan events or events on the other side, so to speak, you know, and, you ha- and there's a case that's very political, well, are you going to be fully uh, unbiased in that case? Maybe not. Same thing. If you're a, a if you're a Republican appointee and you're only going to uh, Republican funded events and speaking engagements and, and, and fundraisers even in some extreme situations, like that's not okay. Um, but it's as a Supreme court justice, as of right now, you can get away with it. Um, and I think that that's, again, that you can't, there's no recourse or reprimand save the high bar of impeachment, but I think there are certain just sort of basic agree, you know, uh, best practices in one's profession that no matter what level you are, you should be required to adhere to. So if that's if that's something that you think is is beneficial, great. If you want to tell the justices to sell their stocks, right? I mentioned the Google case. Why do justices own Google? That's ridiculous. Put your money into a blind trust. Put your money into mutual funds. Put it in an IRA. Put it in a 401k. Don't own Google. Google has cases before the Supreme Court every All year. All the time, that's yeah. Ridiculous. So, um, and then also, like, if you're concerned about uh, the health and safety of the Supreme Court, Right. The Supreme Court justices can opt out of having security when they leave Washington, D.C. I hate that. I hate that so much. I'm so worried about any like some crazy person doing something to a Supreme Court justice that I'm actively lobbying to get more money to, to per, have better protection for Supreme Court justices. Um, so, you know, if you if you and the, and the justices get um, one quarter of every American's taxpayer dollars, not like one fourth, they get like a George Washington sil- silver quarter coin. Like that's how much each American gives to the Supreme Court. So oh let's give them 26 cents and they can get 24 cents protection. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's there's do- dozens of issues that we that we work on that you can talk to your members of Congress or sign a petition or sign up for updates at fixthecourt.com. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love for you to, to interact, you know, with your you know, members of Congress on a, on, a, on a regular basis. I mean, what ends up happening is that, you know, Congress gets bombarded when there are these major issues with with messages. Um, but they're definitely, it's hard to get through. There are definitely some downtimes, like right now, where, you know, they're not, not everybody is off campaigning, right? There's still plenty of staff in D.C. who are, who are waiting to hear from you, especially in, in light of a very contentious confirmation hearing you know, that, that want to know what, what the people think about, about the confirmation process. If you want to email your members of Congress or sign a petition about improving the confirmation process, we've got that too. So, you know, overall, I think that it's important to, to remember that just because the Supreme Court justices for now serve for life and, you know, you only see them a couple, few dozen times a year because they hear so few cases and, you know, they're not out on the road as much as, as, as members of the other branches, that don't matter. Congress has the both the moral and the constitutional obligation to work with the third branch to make them more open and accountable so we can trust that they are, that, you know, so, so that they maintain their legitimacy. If we don't, you know, push them to be more accountable, they're more than happy to, to retreat into their, uh, in, until their chamber and, and, and not come out uh, as much as they should. 
Well, it sounds like you really, really care about American democracy and you really, really care about, <laughs> no, that's, it's very refreshing. Thank you know, you. unfortunately, a lot of Americans are complacent and, um, it's amazing to hear about your activism and the work that you've done. And, um, I hope that you continue pursuing it. What is your website for those of you who are listening? Is it dot .org? Uh, it's, I think we have, I think we own both. I, I tend to buy, as you heard earlier, the <laughs> .org and the dot, uh, dot .com of most things. So yeah, I just use fixthecourt.com just because that's, uh, it just it rolls off the tongue, I think, a little more. But uh, yeah, and if you want to get in touch with me, it's just Gabe at fixthecourt.com, G-A-B-E, my first name. We love to hear from you. We love hearing um you know, suggestions about issues of the federal courts, uh, especially the Supreme Court. And, you know, I just wanted to thank you for for giving me a forum to talk about this, because I think it's important for, you know, especially at a time where everyone's so focused on the day-to-day craziness coming out of the White House. It's important to, rem- and, now, and now, especially that we're past the Kavanaugh confirmation, it's important to remember that there's still a third branch out there that's doing important work that would be great if uh, the rest of you know, most of the American public can see on a more regular basis. Yes, and get some transparency into what is happening behind exactly. closed doors. So thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, I really, really hope that the next time you're on here, we're talking about some of the amazing changes that have been implemented <laughs> in the Supreme Court. And yes, I'm sorry to have well. you on to talk Thanks, about the crazy debacle of democracy. But I really wanted to get your opinions on it because, you know, you're the expert in uh, reform in uh, the Supreme Court. So guys, if you enjoy the podcast, go on outoftheboxpodcast.com and click on the donate button. We now have wallet links to Ethereum and Bitcoin wallets so you can donate. And also, of course, we take cash or PayPal. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, go on iTunes and leave a positive comment. Positive comments are the best way for people to find about, out about the podcast. We're also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Thanks.